So what I'm doing with these uh, Bible study times right now, um, because we are studying the book of Daniel, not taking a course in the end times, I'm trying to just use these Bible studies to touch on a couple of the biggest, most questions of, of eschatology that we might ask while we're looking at these things in Daniel. So I want to talk just for a few minutes here about the hope and timing of the resurrection. So the second thing we're going to talk about is when are you going to get your resurrection body? The first thing we're going to talk about is how does the Old Testament point toward resurrection? Do you remember anybody in the New Testament who believed in the God of the scriptures and the scriptures, but didn't believe in resurrection? Sadducees, right? Because they believed in only a portion of the Old Testament scriptures and so did not believe in a physical resurrection at least. So Daniel 12 too is probably the most direct promise of resurrection in the Old Testament. But I just wanted to quickly show you some of the many other ways that the Old Testament points toward the resurrection. So we're just going to breeze through this quickly because I want to make sure we get to the second part. Number one, do you have a handout? Here we got it. Okay. Number one, because God planted a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And so when Genesis 3 says, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reached out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So we usually think of the tree of life negatively, but it also tells us that there's a God who made that tree of life, who is able to give life that doesn't end. Adam and Eve just couldn't get it in their sinfulness, or that would have been a disaster. Number two, through general statements that life continues after death, like Ecclesiastes 12, 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, obviously, that wouldn't tell you about bodily resurrection, but it does point to life continuing after death. Number three, by affirming God's sovereign control over death and life. Deuteronomy 32, I kill and I make alive. And then that passage that Paul uses in in 1 Corinthians 15, it's from Hosea 13. God says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, which is the place of the dead, the grave. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Now in that passage, it's negative. God is calling death and Sheol to they're used to their power, but it shows that God's in control of those things. And Paul flips it around in 1 Corinthians 15. God has sovereign control over death and life. Number four, there are examples of restoration to life. There's the, the, the and whether you should call them resurrection or resuscitation, I don't know. These are people who died again, right? But there's the widow's son, there's the Shunammite woman's son, 2 Kings 13 is the man who was being buried and they threw his body into the grave where Elisha's bones were and he hit the bones and came to life, right? That tells us something about what God can do in resurrection. Number five, by picturing Israel's spiritual resurrection with the imagery of physical resurrection. That's all of Ezekiel 37, but a couple verses from the middle. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. 
Now, that is first and foremost a picture of spiritual life, spiritual revival, and the new covenant in Ezekiel 37. But it's got a massive implication that it's going, that 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 spiritual renewal is going to go hand in hand with physical renewal, especially when it says, "I'm going to bring you into the land of Israel." That tells us there's something more tangible going on here. Number six, in the believers. Confidence that they would not be abandoned in the grave, but instead their relationship with God would continue. There are beautiful statements about that in the Psalms, like Psalm 73. I am continually with you. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? So this idea of a continuity between my relationship with God in this life and my relationship with God in the next life. It's going to just continue. Number seven, in the hope-filled statements of believers, like 2 Samuel 12, David has this infant son, the one through Bathsheba who has died, and he says, I shall go to him. And then that statement of Job, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. That's an incredible statement. Just That's just from God. Um, many people think Job may be the oldest book in the Old Testament, and they're uh, such a direct statement of physical resurrection. Hosea 6, after two days he will revive us, and the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Number eight, through the promise of death's defeat and a life, through the promise of death's defeat and a life with no trouble. Isaiah, the beautiful verses in Isaiah 25, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Number nine, through direct promises of resurrection. Isaiah 26, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. And then our verse in Daniel 12, 2 is a direct promise. And then number 10 from Isaiah 53, by indicating that God's servant will live again after his sacrificial death. So there in Isaiah 53, it's clear that not only does the suffering servant die, but then he sees the fruit of his, of his labor and of his sacrifice. So God's, there's a hint there of Jesus as the first fruits of resurrection also. There you go. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Resurrection all over the Old Testament, where sometimes people say the resurrection is not in the Old Testament, but it's all over the place in at least hints. Okay, so when will you receive your resurrection body? A more stuffy way to ask the question could be, how many resurrections are there? (laughs) Or when is the resurrection going to take place? Um, You will probably not be shocked to be told that some Christians disagree about this. Um, You will also not be shocked that I'm going to say, let's just look at what the Bible says. (laughs) So, yes, it was humorous last week that my daughter, before last week's Bible study about the tribulation and rapture, said to one of you, "Uh, you know what my dad's going to do? He's going to say, Christians disagree, and here's what the Bible says, and that's what we know. (laughs) Thank you for the Cliff's notes of my lesson. Okay, okay. So here's a little timeline we're going to use. Are we ready for our slides? Do we have... Yep, next one. There we go. Great. So um, 
There's our little timeline. So you have up there Daniel's 70th week. At least part of that is tribulation. And then the second coming of Jesus to earth. And then thousand year earthly reign. And then new heavens. And the new heavens and new earth and the eternal state uh, begins. So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. Okay, so pause there. So on our timeline, we are, you can go to the next slide for me. On our timeline, we're here At the second coming of Christ, right? Those who are left until the coming of the Lord. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, wait, 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 isn't 1 Thessalonians 4 about the rapture? And I would say, yes, it might be. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It could be about the rapture. But if you were just reading this passage for the first time, you would say, oh, this happens at the second coming of Christ. Um, So to keep it simple, let's just put it there for now, okay? So, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Okay, so it says the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's, who are the dead in Christ? That's at least all New Testament Christians who've died. Could be more than that, but at least that. And then it says we are alive, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So that's those who are in Christ, who haven't died when Jesus comes again. And their, their bodies are changed, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one into glorified bodies. Not exactly resurrected, though you could call it that changed into glorified bodies, and they meet the resurrected saints in the air. So that is at least the resurrection of the church, the dead and alive in Christ, when Jesus comes again. All right, now 1 Corinthians 15. So we can say, For now, we can say, whether you live until Jesus comes again or not, either way, you're going to get your resurrection body no later than when Jesus comes again. That's the very latest date when you could get your resurrection body. All right. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But each in his own order... Christ, the first fruits, the first fruit of resurrection. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So again, resurrection, at his coming, for those who belong to Christ. So at least New Testament saints, including you. Verse 51 in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So at his coming, at the last trumpet, the dead are raised and the living are changed. So that pretty much just confirms what we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Now, go to Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, during Daniel's 70th week, that time of the tribulation, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So that's probably the second half of the blue line. Probably the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So at the end of the 70th week, at the end of the tribulation, God's people are delivered. And we know that happens because Jesus comes again. So once again, we're here at the second coming. And then it says in verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So a resurrection happens at the end of the terrible final ruler, the final terrible government. Jesus comes again. Um, I think we're to the next slide, maybe. Yes. So resurrection of some to everlasting life. And so pause there. So I think that has to mean, that has to include the Old Testament saints, right? Since we're reading in Daniel about his people, their deliverance, their resurrection. So resurrection of the Old Testament saints, but then also some to shame and contempt as we talked about this morning. So from an initial reading of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and Daniel 12, what it looks like we have is one giant resurrection at the second coming of Christ to earth. But now let's go to Revelation 20 because we get a little more detail and we see a little bit more nuance to this. So Revelation 20, remember the end of Revelation 19 has just recorded the second coming of Christ. So again, we're at the time of the second coming of Christ. Revelation 20 Verse 4, then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we can add up here, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, that tribulation martyrs are also resurrected. Now, they're already part of those who are dead in Christ, but they're separately described there in Revelation 20 as being resurrected at the second coming. Now, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Okay, so that, based on those other passages, this has to be talking about the unsaved dead. The unsaved dead aren't resurrected, apparently, at the second coming. You follow me there? Verse 5, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. 
So the first resurrection happens when Jesus comes again. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So everyone resurrected at the second coming of Christ will reign with him on earth for a thousand years. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. What's that? It's resurrection, right? Death and Hades, the the grave, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So this is describing the resurrection of all the unsaved dead. And if we go to the next slide, it is apparently here at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And that's probably the resurrection. Next slide. That's probably the resurrection to shame and contempt that Daniel was talking about. In other words, Daniel wasn't trying to give us an exact chronology of these things. The resurrection of shame and contempt is apparently at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's when the unsaved dead are resurrected. Okay, so next slide. To make it super simple, we could think of it like this. The resurrection of the saved happens when Jesus comes back to earth. The resurrection of the unsaved happens after Jesus' thousand-year reign on earth. That's a great, super simple way to remember how it happens. Um, And that first resurrection seems to include Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and tribulation martyrs. But then there are two questions that make it a little more complicated. And the first of those is, is there a rapture? If there's a rapture, then what that means, if we go to the next slide, uh, and the next slide, there we go. If there's a rapture, then the New Testament saints are resurrected before or in the middle of the tribulation. And then it's the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs who are resurrected at the second coming of Christ to earth. So that part gets a little more complicated if you have a rapture. And then the one other thing that could make it complicated, if we go to the next slide over here, is that there is the question of, are people born during the millennium? Do people die during the millennium? Do you have people getting saved during the millennium? In which case, you'd need another resurrection of saved people at the end of the millennium, which isn't mentioned in the Bible, but is possible. Yes, Scott. Oh, right. Right. There's a great rebellion at the end of that thousand-year reign of Christ. Yeah. Um, And so maybe along the way there, there are also people born in the millennium who get saved in the millennium and need resurrected at the end of the millennium, but the Bible doesn't. That's a logical inference. Um, So yeah, there you go. Probably something like that. So for you, if the question is, when do you get your resurrection body? The answer is, at the earliest, the beginning of the tribulation, at the latest, the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. There we go. Questions about that? Wow, that went fast. I'm done early, which is good. Really, anybody have a question about that? That time? If that seems clear and simple, that is a big win. I will rejoice in that. (laughs) What? Oh, because I'm not going to answer the resurrection, the rapture question? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's clear and simply unknown. <laughs> yes. 
Um, okay, so, wow, off the top of my head. Okay, for a rapture, the um, n- couple major arguments, depending on who you're talking to, they, what argument is most important to them, but it's either imminence or wrath that are the top two reasons for a rapture. Either the idea that the Bible says Jesus could come again at any time, the very next thing on the eschatological timeline is his coming, therefore there must be a rapture because there are all these other events that happen before the second coming. So imminence or the understanding that the New Testament promises that the church will not experience the f- God's wrath poured out on earth and the tribulation. So Revelation 3.10 and then Persephonians also um, says has that promise about being rescued from the wrath of God through Jesus. If you understand those to be a reference to tribulation wrath then and a promise to the church, then that would logically argue for a rapture before that. Um, now, there are, other, there are lots of other arguments that might tend toward a rapture position. A distinction between Israel and the church is a huge one. And so the rapture, I mean, the tribulation being especially for Israel, not for the church. And so then, you know, guesses like maybe when uh, Paul talks about the, the one who restrains being taken away before the tribulation, maybe that's the spirit, and maybe he's taken away because the church is raptured. And the spirit indwells the church. You got that kind of thing. You've got arguments from the order of the fulfillment of Old Testament feasts and the last trumpet. And there's lots of, they're along the lines of interesting, but nobody could prove, you know, prove it. But they're, they're like interesting data points. Um, the arguments against, and I'll just stick with pre-trib rapture versus, so can we go back to the previous slide uh, for a second? So, the question isn't, is there a rapture? The question is, does the rapture happen at the same time as the second coming or not? Um, so either have pre-trib rapture or for the sake of simplicity, let's say you have a rapture at the same time when Jesus then comes back to earth. The arguments for a post-trib rapture would be, um, first of all, just that it's, it's, it's kind of just the, the biblical baseline. Like if you were just reading these passages for what they say simply, you would conclude that the church is resurrected when Jesus comes again. Like you, it takes a little bit of work to get a pre-trib rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and so forth. It's not that it's not true. It's just that the burden of proof is on the pre-trib position because just kind of a plain, simple reading of scripture would have the church resurrected at the, at the rapture. Um, they would also argue that the the New Testament doesn't say that Jesus could come again at any second. It says he's going to come at a time you don't know. You've got to be alert. You've got to be ready. You've got to be watchful. But that doesn't, those, those warnings that you have to be ready, his, his coming is going to surprise you, are not sufficient evidence for a pre-trib rapture. Um, and they would also argue that Revelation 3.10 and the promise of that Revelation 3.10 is probably a specific promise for that church, not a promise talking about the great tribulation for the whole church. Um, and so they wouldn't see Revelation 3.10 as, as evidence of a rapture. And then they would look at passages like we, we talked about last week in which um, it seems like before the rapture, you have to have the Antichrist. So... 
We read that. That's the beginning of Second Thessalonians 2, right? That we read last week, right? Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him, these things don't happen until you have the man of lawlessness and the rebellion and all that. So they would say, you've actually got statements like that that, that would argue for a, a rapture and second coming at the same time. So you're welcome. Yes. Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I think those, I, that's a hard question. I don't know the answer to that. Depends on, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty about the timing of events within the tribulation. Um, the timing of the Antichrist events within the seven years. Um, it, so I don't know the answer to that. Yes. How would that argue for a rapture? Our pre-trib rapture? Oh, oh, that's possible. Yeah, I mean, if 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 the final terrible ruler does in the temple what Daniel says he's going to do, then there's got to be a temple for him to do that in, right? Are you, are you saying that brings into question the imminence if the temple still has to be built? Okay, yeah, just to, sure. Yeah, if unless unless we're supposed to just totally spiritualize these things, which some Christians do, then we have to have a temple in Jerusalem during the during the tribulation. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's great. Before we go any further, uh, let's stop and get ready to go for baptism. No, I really do love to talk about this, and I would welcome your questions. Um, so keep them, keep them coming. And hopefully this was helpful because really what, what I'm doing with these things is I'm just taking the questions that are a little fuzzy in my mind, and I'm trying to get myself clear about them <laughs> and then teach that. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how this has gone. All right, you're dismissed.